Hello, this is Kristen Godsey, and this is the AK-47 podcast, 47 works of Alexandra Kolontai. And uh, I'm the author of Why Women Have Better Sex Under Socialism and Other Arguments for Economic Independence. I'm also a professor of Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. And in my last episode, I did an interview with my 17-year-old daughter, and we were talking about the ways in which contemporary capitalism commodifies our relationships, our attentions, our affections, and our emotions, and also the ways in which having a sort of commercial goal for certain kinds of activities, sort of transactional ethos, I called it in the last episode, sort of spoils some of the things that we might do just because we enjoy doing them. In my daughter's case, it's learning. Um, And so I really wanted to come back and find a passage from Alexandra Kolontai's writing that would sort of speak to this issue of the commodification of our relationships. And so today I'm going to read from a 1921 essay that she wrote called Sexual Relations and the Class Struggle. And this piece of writing is really important to me when I think through the ways in which even, you know, over a hundred years ago, people felt that social relations, but particularly romantic relationships, were being spoiled or uh, undermined by the market. And so I think this is a really nice piece because it talks about the loneliness that people were feeling uh, back in 1921, the sort of social conditions of loneliness, people feeling alienated from their emotions in a very similar way that people are feeling alienated from their emotions in 2019. So one of the things that my daughter asked me in the last interview is why is it even relevant to study or read Alexandra Kolontai in 2019 since she was writing like 100 years ago? And I think that it's really relevant because some of the things that she writes about, even though it is over a century old, really resonate with me today still. And I think will resonate with my students and young people who are interested in sort of coming to the works of Kolontai for the first time. The piece that I'm going to read is actually a section out of this essay, as I said, called Sexual Relations and the Class Struggle. Um, And in it, she's really trying to outline a new vision of what sexual relationships will be like once people collectively own the means of production and have a more socialist society with a more robust social safety net. I'm just going to, like I said, dive into the middle of this essay and maybe in later episodes, I'll actually read other parts of it. But I thought that this little section was particularly telling. The tragedy of our society is not just that the usual forms of behavior and the principles regulating this behavior are breaking down, but that a spontaneous wave of new attempts at living is developing from within the social fabric, giving man hopes and ideals that cannot yet be realized. We are people living in a world of property relationships, a world of sharp class distinctions, and an individualistic morality. We still live and think under the heavy hand of an unavoidable loneliness of spirit. Man experiences this loneliness even in towns full of shouting noise and people, even in a crowd of close friends and workmates. Because of their loneliness, men are apt to cling in a predatory and unhealthy way to illusions about finding a soulmate from among the members of the opposite sex. They see sly eros as the only means of charming away, if only for a time, the gloom of inescapable loneliness. People have perhaps never in any age felt spiritual loneliness as deeply and persistently as at the present time. People have probably never become so depressed and fallen so fully under the numbing influence of this loneliness. It could hardly be otherwise. 
The darkness never seems so black as when there's a light shining just ahead. Now, I want to stop right there, and before I continue, just say I think it's really ironic that Kollontai is basically saying that 1921 was the moment when people were feeling the most loneliness, because as we know in the United States right now, at least, but also in the UK, there's really good research that shows that people are feeling incredibly lonely, especially young people. And while she's talking about feeling lonely in a city full with people shouting voices, I think we're also feeling lonely um, with this cacophony of social media. So we have all these online friends and we're constantly being bombarded by technologies that are supposed to keep us connected and yet we're feeling incredibly lonely. So I do think that it's kind of funny to think about Kollontai saying that no, at no time in history has people felt as lonely as they felt in 1921 and here we are in 2019 um, actually dealing with something that many people consider a kind of epidemic of loneliness across our society. All right, so now back to Kollontai. The individualists, who are only loosely organized into a collective with other individuals, now have the chance to change their sexual relationships so that they are based on the creative principle of friendship and togetherness, rather than on something blindly physiological. The individualistic property morality of the present day is beginning to seem very obviously paralyzing and oppressive. In criticizing the quality of sexual relationships, modern man is doing far more than rejecting the outdated forms of behavior of the current moral code. His lonely soul is seeking the regeneration of the very essence of these relationships. He moans and pines for great love, for a situation of warmth and creativity, which alone has the power to disperse the cold spirit of loneliness from which present-day individualists suffer. If the sexual crisis is three-quarters the result of external socioeconomic relationships, the other quarter hinges on our refined individualistic psyche, fostered by the ruling bourgeois ideology. Men and women seek each other in the hope of finding for themselves, through another person, a means to a larger share of spiritual and physical pleasure. It makes no difference whether they are married to the partner or not. They give little thought to what's going on in the other person, to what's happening to their emotions and psychological processes. The crude individualism that adorns our era is perhaps nowhere as blatant in the organization of sexual relationships. A person wants to escape from his loneliness and naively imagines that being in love gives him the right to the soul of the other person, the right to warm himself in the rays of that rare blessing of emotional closeness and understanding. We individualists have had our emotions spoiled in the persistent cult of the ego. We imagine that we can reach the happiness of being in a state of great love with those near to us without having to give up anything of ourselves. The claims we make on our contracted partner are absolute and undivided. We are unable to follow the simplest rule of love that another person should be treated with great consideration. New concepts of the relationship between the sexes are already being outlined. They will teach us to achieve relationships based on the unfamiliar ideas of complete freedom, equality, and genuine friendship. But in the meantime, mankind has to sit in the cold with his spiritual loneliness and can only dream about the better age when all relationships between people will be warmed by the rays of the sun god, will experience a sense of togetherness, and will be educated in the new conditions of living. The sexual crisis cannot be solved unless there is a radical reform of the human psyche and unless man's potential for loving is increased. And a basic transformation of the socioeconomic relationships along communist lines is essential if the psyche is to be reformed. So that's just a section of this essay. 
And I think that what's really important about the essay is that Colin Tai herself spent some time as the Commissar of Social Welfare. She had been put in charge of the Jeanotel or the women's section of the Communist Party. And she actually really been at the forefront of instituting a number of policies that were radically reshaping the way that women were going to exist within Soviet society through the socialization of domestic work and also through the abolition of, you know, church control over marriage and divorce and incredibly liberal set of policies that were trying to uncouple romantic relationships and sexual relationships from economic considerations. So what I really think is fascinating about this um, essay is it's an entire sort of screed against the ways in which bourgeois people love each other in this very, very selfish way. And um, uh, she talks a lot about the, the way that people own each other. So uh, here's another little section that I think is really fascinating. Colin Tai writes, People in love are unbelievably insensitive in their relations to a third person. We have all no doubt observed this strange situation. Two people who love each other are in a hurry before they have got to know each other properly to exercise their rights over all the relationships that the other person has formed up till that time to look into the innermost corners of their partner's life. Two people who yesterday were unknown to each other and who come together in a single moment of mutual erotic feeling rush to get at the heart of the other person's being. They want to feel that strange and incomprehensible psyche with its past experience that can never be suppressed, is an extension of their own self. The idea that the married pair are each other's property is so accepted that when a young couple who were yesterday each living their own separate lives are today, opening each other's correspondence without a blush, and making common property of the words of a third person who is a friend of only one of them, this hardly strikes us as something unnatural. But this kind of intimacy is only really possible when people have been working out their lives together for a long period of time. Usually, a dishonest kind of closeness is substituted for this genuine feeling, the deception being fostered by the mistaken idea that a physical relationship between two people is a sufficient basis for extending the rights of possession to each other's emotional being. And so in this essay, Colin Tai really talks about the way that people use sexuality and and physiological intimacy or sexual intimacy in order to kind of claim possession on the soul and mind and heart of another person. And that this idea of treating our romantic relationships as goods to be possessed, that our partners as things to be possessed, is incredibly uncomfortable to her. And she thinks that it's at the root of our unhappiness and our loneliness. Because rather than sharing of ourselves in human relationships, we're constantly thinking about what we can get out of these relationships. And we're constantly guarding against the ways in which we think our partners may be unfaithful to us, not just physically unfaithful with their bodies, but spiritual or emotionally unfaithful with their minds or their souls. So what Colin Tai is writing about in 1921 is the way in which we generally tend to view our romantic partners as property. And she's trying to get us to see that as long as we treat romantic partners 
or, or even, you know, friends as property. If the minute that we get into a relationship with somebody, we don't want them to have other friends. We don't want them to hang out with other people, certainly not friends of the, the, the opposite sex. You know, there's this jealousy and that the jealousy comes from a place of ownership. We believe that this person is our personal property. And any sort of challenge to our property rights over this person makes us desperately unhappy and can, in fact, threaten the relationship. So I think that it's really worth reading Kollontai and trying to understand the ways in which jealousy is a direct result of a kind of property, you know, way of thinking about our relationships. And part of the reason that we have these ideas about relationships is because for many of us, particularly for women who are in dependent relationships with men, you know, your ability to pay your rent or to put food on the table for your children is going to be dependent on your partner being faithful to you and continuing to support you. So there's an incredible, you know, necessity to be hypervigilant for infidelity and things like that. And I think that Kollontai is really radical in suggesting that we could have romantic relationships with people without thinking that, thinking of our partners as our property. And that actually, if we thought of our relationships in a less property-like way, if we thought of them in a less economic way, our relationships would actually be a lot more satisfying. They would be a lot more you know, loving and equal. And she uses this term comradely and more friendship based and really based on mutual affection and similar, you know, shared ideals. And I think that, you know, again, she's writing over a hundred years ago, but it is really worth thinking about her ideas in the contemporary moment. I think they're still very relevant and I'm going to try to find some more interesting passages to read to you in my next episode. Thanks so much for joining me. This is Kristen Godsey with the AK-47 podcast. If you like Alexandra Kollontai and you want to read more, everything that she's written, well, not everything that she's written, she wrote a whole lot, but a lot of what she's written is available for free online at the www.marxist.org website. Uh, And I talk a little bit about Kollontai and her ideas for sexual liberation in my book, Why Women Have Better Sex Under Socialism and Other Arguments for Economic Independence. So I also encourage you to check that out. But please subscribe, and I look forward to doing another one of these soon. Hopefully I'm going to try to get my daughter back on the show. All right, take care. Bye-bye.